98.7 FM, Arizona's sports station. Big League Blast. And yes, that's Cliff with a K because Sunday's game in Carolina has everyone's attention from Valley fans to national commentators and because Kingsbury is being exposed as something of a fraud. Definitely not the guru we were promised. People are noticing that the Cardinals are short on the staples that define successful offense in today's NFL. Very little use of motion, no play action, little schemed use of Murray's athleticism and a quarterback who is in the shotgun 95% of the time, which is most in the NFL. There is the awful scripting and execution of plays at beginning of games, and for a team that keeps talking about starting fast, they are averaging 3.6 yards per play in the first quarter, third worst in the league. But these, these days, it is not just me howling at the moon. The Washington Post just published a damning story on Kingsbury's Cardinals including many damning, disparaging, anonymous quotes from NFC executives who are effectively rolling their eyes at our football team, from the devotion to Kingsbury's college system to the job security afforded Steve Kine. And if they're talking like that, even anonymously, it's because they have very little fear of retribution and zero fear of this current program. You can call it a reality check if you want, and on Sunday, we're going to find out if there's zero hope of it getting better any time soon. Today's Bickley Blast brought to you by my great friends at Chapman BMW who make luxury attainable with two great locations and one great experience. Find them online at ChapmanBMW.com. Yeah, it's definitely collaborative. Um, you know, different position coaches have different thoughts, different ideas, different um, assignments as far as what area they, they specialize in. And then um, we talk through it with the quarterbacks and see what they like, what they don't like, and, and try to come to a good place with it. That was Cliff Kingsbury earlier this week talking about those uh, scripts, scripted plays. We hear it all the time, first 15 plays scripted, whatever the number is. Uh, certainly has not been a strength of the Arizona Cardinals no. offense this year, and that is something that if they're going to find success, needs to change. Maybe that uh, collaborative effort needs to change as well. wonder if it's always been a collaborative effort, um, or does it need to fall more on the guy who's actually calling the plays uh, the, the rest of the game, well, too, when that script wears is, off? Yeah, there is that, and that's been that's been going back a long time. I mean, we've had that issue with the Cardinals' approach from the moment they said Kyler Murray has earned a right to have a say in personnel matters, which we all thought was ludicrous. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, maybe. Maybe maybe there does need to be more of a, this is what we're doing instead of, this is what we're, instead of we're going to make you comfortable, Kyler, um, you might say making you comfortable ain't working, ain't yes. helping us in offense. And so as a result, we're going to change this. Well, you mentioned the Washington Post piece that was written by Jason Locke and Fora and the anonymous quotes. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's a couple of them. Uh, one paragraph reads, quote, there's an arrogance to their scheme on both sides of the ball, said one scout who has watched the Cardinals closely, but is not permitted to speak about them by his employer. It's just like it's like they just say we're going to do what we plan to do no matter what, but it's not working. Mm-hmm. That's one. Scout. That's one. Uh, said a high ranking official from an NFC club under similar restrictions about speaking publicly about other organizations. Quote, we were shocked that they extended the coach. It's not a sophisticated scheme. He's not considered a great play caller. Every year the produ- production drops as the season goes on. See, quote. now that sounds harsh, but everything in that quote 
I've seen that. It makes sense to me. Continue. There's more. Oh, that's where mine cut off. Is that where, okay, hold on. Yeah. I'll have to pull up the story. Yeah, okay. So, and again, this is, you can you can discount Jason Lockenfora. He, he has missed on certain, uh, on a percentage of, of breaking news stories in the past. Uh, there are people who don't, you know, dig what he produces, but the He's writing for the Washington Post and he's quoting people. These sources are real. Mm-hmm. That's what I have to say. So if this were Jason Lockenfora writing this, you'd have every right to kind of go, oh, I don't care. I'm not I'm not paying any attention to that. Yeah. But when you've got anonymous quotes like that, that's when I think that uh, it's got my attention. Yeah, I found the I found the quotes. I okay. apologize. There's right. one on, on Kyler Murray. Uh, Murray remains a polarizing in the scouting and executive community where some still question his dedication to the craft. Uh, and then there's talk about the whole in, insertion of the independent uh, study addendum. Uh, quote, it makes no sense to me. Longtime NFL executive Joe Banner, who negotiated contracts for over a decade, said of that clause over the summer, quote, I don't understand why a team making this commitment felt like it had to ask for it or why the player would agree to it. Of course, it was always going to get out. Both sides knew it. It's preposterous. Uh, and then it gets into the relationship between owner, general manager, yep. and head coach. Uh, one NFL GM, not at liberty to comment on other organizations, quote, never underestimate how close time is with that owner. It's like he's part of the family. Does wonders for your job security. Yeah. And so that right there, I think that really kind of hits at the fan dissatisfaction and, quite honestly, my dissatisfaction with the Cardinals and the direction they're going. It, it, the, the extensions made no sense to me, and they make very little sense to most people. So, so if you're making decisions based on relationships, then you're making them based on the wrong reasons in a sport like the NFL. And, and that's that's the thing here. And if this is not going to get any better, and we've got this this sample size now, it's 10 games. It's 10 games since the Cardinals offense was anything close to a juggernaut. And it's going in the wrong direction, quite honestly. And, and it, this is also with an entire offseason in between the collapse of last year and the beginning of this year. So it's it, it it's it's one thing to say, well, it's good to have adversity now and we'll be better at the end of the season this year. Ain't going to matter if you're 2 and 9. Yeah, I mean, if you dig yourself a hole, is this team capable of getting it together in the second half of the season? Mm-hmm. That certainly hasn't been the pattern for mm-hmm. any team coached by Cliff Kingsbury. Yeah. That's what makes this even and, and more right. more concerning. So if if all this sounds Harsh, it's because it is, and it's it's coming from all corners now. It, it, so it, it it came it comes from a guy, a newsbreaker who who gets a little loosey goosey at times, and Jason Lockenfora, but it's also coming from a brainiac like Bill Barnwell. Yeah, the Barnwell piece too focused again on the on the defensive side of the ball, um, and. Again, the the amount of explosive plays that they give up, as opposed to the expl- and I don't even think that's been a huge problem this mm-hmm. year. The number, the, the the ratio is is concerning, but I think that points more to the to the offense. Uh, but he he does point out uh, something on Vance Joseph. He wrote, Joseph has always been able to create pressure with his creative blitz packages, but the Cardinals are almost entirely reliant on him to make magic happen to get home. They're blitzing at the league's highest rate. But they're only 19th in the league in pressure rate. Whether they pressure the quarterback or not, they, uh, teams have carved up those blitzes. Opposing passers are 35 of 49 for 329 yards and seven touchdowns against their blitzes this season. Good for the league's fifth worst QBR defensively. So these are these are widespread issues. Yes, this is not yes. just hey one player's not cutting it. Um, this is 
units, offense. This is position mm-hmm. rooms. This is defense position rooms. Yes. Uh, this is on coaches and coordinators. I mean, is it salvageable? I don't feel confident in saying yes, I, it's salvageable. I have, I've got a bad feeling. I, listen, I want I want this team to be sizzling hot like they were at the beginning of last year. That was so awesome. To, to have a football team that was 7-0 and going into that Green Bay game, a football team that at one point crest and peaked at number one in power rankings. We hadn't felt that since that magical year in 2015 with Carson Palmer and Bruce Arians. It had been, been a long, long time. And, and we really thought that the Cardinals had had something dynamic for the next 10 years. Mm-hmm. And now you step back from this and you go, where where's the, where's the solution here? If this offense has been found out and snuffed out, this is why you get anonymous people making anonymous quotes as damning as the ones that are published in the Washington Post today. And, and it's it, it speaks to doing stuff. It's the use of motion. And again, Mike McDaniel is an elite offensive coordinator. I've seen people report that Cliff Kingsbury tried to hire him early in his tenure, and the 49ers would never let him go, would never let him interview as an offensive coordinator. And so he gets a head coaching job, and, and the one thing that has set him apart is elite-level play calling and using motion. In that game last night, I did not know this. I saw this, but I did not know this. Every skill player on offense lined up someplace different on the football field on that opening drive. So when the Bengals went to the sideline, they didn't know what was coming next. And, you know, good. then, then talent takes over. And adjustments take and over. And adjustments take over. But that's the game. And it's that kind of stuff that just seems so so absent from what the Cardinals are doing. It's not just the poor scripting of plays; it's the terrible execution of them. And and so it's they got to get this fixed because if it's the head coach, that's an issue. If it's a quarterback, it's an issue. Either way, it's an issue. Especially since they're here for a long time. (laughs) Coming up next, Chris Paul heading into season eighteen in the NBA. How's the point guard feeling? Going into it, we'll tell you that and more about Suns training camp next. Pickley and Murata mornings, 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Seven FM, Arizona's Sports Station. Dan Pickley, Vince Morata. Pickley and Morata mornings. That's nice. Um, being back with the guys, playing and hooping. You know, that's sort of everybody's happy place. So, you know, day three, I think it's day three. Oh, and not, uh, I got it. It's Chris Paul, point guard for Phoenix Suns, heading into year 18. Amazing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Amazing career. Um, day three of training camp, open practice tomorrow at a footprint center. That gets underway at 11 o'clock, and then uh, we'll get our first glimpse of actual competitive basketball from the Suns. How competitive it will be remains to be seen. It's a team from uh, the NBL in Australia, the Adelaide 36ers. And then the uh, preseason will roll on. But uh, wouldn't that be funny if that was the sole reason they got Jock Landell, just for intel on the Australian players? <laughs> like when you sign somebody to your practice squad before a game, yeah, in football th- that would be pretty nefarious. Oh, thanks for your service, Jock. We just yeah. really yeah. wanted to How win that. You beat the Thirty Sixers on the yeah. Um, Chris Paul talked about a couple of uh, different things, too. Uh, he did offer his uh, comments about the Jay Crowder situation and the Kevin Durant rumors from over the summer. I think you learn in this league, you control what you can control. You know, we're here uh, excited about this season. Um, everything else, you know, is in the past. So, you know, we focused on, you know, our second practice later this afternoon. 
And he also talked about um, you know maybe his role changing a little bit, having to initiate less this year uh, of the offense. Uh, over the course of the course of the game, you know, it's going to be hopefully more possessions like that. One of them handling what I but at the end of the day, you know. Devin's still going to be a scorer. You know what I mean? DA's still going to be the big man. We all are still who we are, but incorporating other ways to play can uh, be great for our team. I, I'm I'm intrigued by this. What what this looks like if it's less of a ball handling role for Chris Paul? Uh, what does that mean to the offense? I think there's no doubt in anybody's mind that Devin Booker will be by far the leading scorer for this team this year. I'm curious on who's going to be second. That's a good question. Is it going to be Chris Paul? Will it be DeAndre Ayton? Will which I think could, would Mikael Bridges. Will Cam, it be Cam, Cam Johnson? Cam Johnson <laughs> could be. It might be that. That would be a that would be a wonderful development, in my opinion. If it, Cam Johnson was the yes. second leading scorer, yes. But and I said I maybe it should be if, DA. Yeah, I guess you're right. That would be the better development. I would love to see DeAndre Ayton average more than twenty points a game. So you so you think Devin Booker is going to outscore Kevin Durant this year for the Suns? <laughs> oh, okay. Cam Johnson, new uh, new starter in the uh, rotation for Monty Williams, has announced yesterday. He spoke to the media yesterday about that transition to becoming a starter. Oh man, Dwayne, if I could tell you how many times people said something like that to me, if I had a dollar for every time people, I wouldn't even need to hoop no more. Right, right, right. So uh, you know, I, I love it though. Puts a little chip on my shoulders, giving me extra motivation every step of the way. And I mean every step of the way from middle school, high school, college, every single time. So I didn't set that up very well. That was the reaction to the draft night, Kobe White, the Cam, and, and the fun that we have with it, the Cam Johnson thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's so love, bro. It is so love. It really is. Oh, bro. Whoa, bro. That uh, is so love. Cam Johnson also talking about, hey, this team needs rebounding. I need to contribute in that area. Yeah, so that's going to have to be a huge focus of mine is, is to rebound. Rebound a lot better than I have in my first couple of years. Um, being guard and be a lot more physical. I think that's, that's where I'm going to have to elevate my game a lot. Because we, in, in that first unit, we have guys that can score the ball. We have guys that can, you know, play out a pick and roll. Um, so I'm gonna have to contribute in as many ways as I can. Yeah, about the rebounding front, Kellen uh, then asked. Uh, you know, apparently Cam Johnson's mom has put uh, a number on what kind of rebounding total she wants. <laughs> she wants ten per game. What? And then said, "Yeah, mom's getting kind of greedy." <laughs> wow. You talked about that though. Where is the rebounding going to come from? Because they have done nothing to address that this offseason. Other than Dario Saric getting healthy. But they're losing JaVale McGee. Yes. I mean, that's sort of a wash. It's not like either one of them is a dominant on the boards. I'm I'm curious to see what Dario's minutes look like as opposed to what JaVale played. Yeah. JaVale couldn't stay on the floor a lot last year because he got into foul trouble. Just kind of the player he is. But he was very productive when on the floor rebounding. Mm-hmm. Um, does that even out with more minutes from from Dario Saric, more availability? I don't know. I got you know to to go back to Jarrett's original point. Mm-hmm. I'm concerned about the rebounding when you got oh, these definitely. teams with length listen, and bulk. And where where is that going to come from? Yeah, listen, I'm I'm worried about the fact that teams that they're competing with in the West have gotten better. The Suns have not. And the, the the improvement for the Suns is going to have to come internally from guys stepping up their own games. And and will that happen enough to, to mitigate some of this? I hope. I really hope. I, I mean, the idea of trying to moderate Chris Paul, 
uh, it, it just doesn't work. He doesn't, that's not the game he wants to play. And his voice is very, very strong in this room. Don't, don't here's another thing too. I, this is one thing that kind of dawned on me listening to Devin Booker talk the last couple of days. Book came out in defense because he was asked about Monty and, and DA. And his response was, well, I haven't talked to Monty that much this offseason myself. And it's, it's interesting to me that I, the leadership of this team, they're down with whatever it is that Monty Williams is attempting to do. Mm-hmm. With DA, they know these these decisions are not made in a vacuum. There's a leadership huddle on the Phoenix Suns that involves the GM, the head coach, Chris Paul, and Devin Booker. That's the way it is. That's mm-hmm. the way it should be. And so, so they're on board with whatever that plan happens to be. But a plan to kind of make Chris Paul just kind of be a uh, uh, breaking case of glass emergency—that's not going to happen. It's not who he is. No, I mean, how is he effective with the ball in his hands? Yeah. Initiating, yeah. distributing. All that Jedi mind tricks he does with the basketball. That stuff, Vinny. <laughs> the dribbling the ball sideways, the the fake dribble. You know what I mean? The running the ball over the top of the ball without touching the ball. Yeah. Uh, on that front, Monty Williams spoke yesterday, too, because, you know, keeping Chris Paul fresh, especially what's happened in the last two playoffs. Uh, it's got to be of paramount importance for this team. How are they going to do it? I try a number of things. For me, I, I, I try to give them as many days off as I can. Uh, there's certainly different ways to to fill your cup. You know, sometimes it's telling him to fly home to L.A. to go see his family when he has an opportunity. That, that's a way to fill his cup. Some days we come in here and we, we have our sweats on and we just you know, smell the gym and get out. From a basketball perspective, I think it can help to have other guys initiate the offense. It certainly helps having Mikhail guard the main pick-and-roll offensive guy so Chris doesn't have to do it all the time. That, that's one way. So I, I don't think there's one cookie-cut way to do it all. Um, I think it's just things that we're going to have to do throughout the season. And i got to listen to the – all the brains over there in the doggone room with the letters by their name tell me my guys need a break. I'm glad Monty Williams pointed something out in that soundbite. Uh, he he unveiled my whole stra- my whole workout strategy. Put your sweats on, go smell mm-hmm. the gym, smell and the walk gym out. And go, Ew, it smells like sweat oh. and work. <laughs> Is that a Montyism that I was not familiar with? Yeah, smelling the, the gym. gym. I no. have not heard that one. Yeah, the, let's add it to the list. The use of the word gym it, it's it's very important to Monty. It's 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 almost this. Our gym is kind of the same thing as we. It's a get to, not a got to, mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff. And, and you love the homespunisms, but. They don't. They don't last if your team keeps underachieving in the playoffs. After so, so my hope is that that Monty's homespunisms will forever ring fresh because that means the team will win a championship it, under his watch. It's true. That's not a knock on Monty. It's, it is true. It happened to Bruce Arians it, during his indeed. time here. It happens to everybody. Yeah. Yeah. You, you 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 buy into something real deep and and the coach can do no wrong and then uh oh then 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 hearts start breaking and playoff failures start stacking mm-hmm. things change. Have you subscribed to the Bickley and Murata podcast? Subscribe right now on your iPhone or Android. You'll never miss any of the show. It's the Bickley and Murata podcast. It's brought to you by Carol Royce Keller Williams Realty East Valley. Get a higher price selling your home. Get guaranteed offers. Go to higherprice.com. That's higherprice.com. Coming up next, tough game coming up tomorrow for the Arizona State Sun Devils as they travel to take on sixth-ranked USC. We'll talk to their interim head coach, Sean Aguano, next. It's Bickley and Murata Mornings, 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. 
This is the Santan Ford Sun Devil Blitz, presented in part by Gila River Resorts and Casinos, Arizona State's official sports headquarters, and Santan Ford. We are Santan Ford. Andrew heading on the road to Los Angeles. Coliseum to take on Lincoln Riley and the USC Trojans, who have hit the ground running with transfers basically at every position, but elite transfers. They have uh, got off to a very good start, ranked sixth in the country, hoping to uh, catch up with uh, head coach Sean Aguano. Uh, first one out of the way for uh, ASU last week. It was a rough one. Expected it to be rough against a really, really established, well-coached team in Utah. So I'm wondering uh, when we get coach on, you know, what kind of uh, positives he took out of that game. You know, I wasn't there, watched it the, the morning after, Bick, and, um, you know, just reading some of the reports with people that were in the stadium, it just seemed like, I don't know, something was something was missing from the whole thing. Um, you know, it, there was excitement that it was Sean Aguano's first game, but that faded away pretty quickly. And, it, it uh, you know, ASU's fan base is in a weird spot right now. Oh, you could say that again. ASU's fan base is in a weird spot right now. <laughs> you can say that. Now, remember, remember ASU is Appalachian State, Vinny. <laughs> Appalachian State. Appalachian State. They're, that's right. They're app. They go by App State. Yeah, I know. I'm just. Yeah. Oh, is that right? Do yeah. they actually? Yeah. App State. I, that's the way they were shortening it on a lot of the broadcasts. If, if ever a coach in a program could use a win over USC, victories over the Trojans generally are like gold to this program. Yes. Generally, the day that Lane. Kiffin got fired on the tarmac, one of the all-timers. The Mike Bercovici, Jail Mary, one of the all-timers. Well, I mean, just look at how things change in the course of a year, or how they can change in the course mm-hmm. of a year. USC came to Tempe last year. They had Dante Williams, who was an interim head coach, after they fired uh, Clay Helton. That was a program that was in disarray. And ASU won that game easily in Tempe. Mm-hmm. And then we have all, you know, what transpires in the offseason. Lincoln Riley takes the job. He brings Caleb Williams with him. Jordan Addison goes over. They start plucking guys like Eric Gentry from ASU, who's been a star on their defense. Um, things can change very quickly mm-hmm. in, in college football. Um, that's kind of the, the new norm. I didn't expect, even with all the talent that USC was able to uh, put together uh, on that roster, yeah. I didn't expect them to gel the way they have. Now, last week, it, it's interesting on, on what people read into that. They struggled in Corvallis with Oregon State, and that's a place recently that, that has been a tough place for USC to play. Mm-hmm. They came away with the win. Um, you know, They might be looking past this ASU team, a 25-point yeah. 25, 25 favorite. Yeah, listen, I think they're de- – yes, I, I do agree with that. So I, I do think that there's an opportunity here uh, for ASU to do something. I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't pick them to win, but – Do you think they make it closer than no, 25? I, I, I just I, – I, I haven't I – know, I know USC it keeps winning. They just – they haven't been that impressive to me. Yeah, that's fair. And so I don't know if that's just I, – I don't know if they're just a growing – program i don't know if i uh, i underrate oregon state but yeah. the way they struggled with the beavers i i uh, i don't know and and it's but at usc they basically i mean they've got a shot here at at the college football playoff believe it they got to beat utah obviously but they've got a shot at this thing yeah i mean 
So they might look. They might be looking up and over ASU. They might, and, and that four and zero and number six ranking might be a little bit elevated too with the hype about Lincoln. I'm looking at who they played. I mean, they beat Rice sixty six to fourteen. Then they went uh, to Stanford, beat them forty one twenty eight. Stanford's not very good. Mm-hmm. They beat Fresno State forty five seventeen, and then their first like buttoned up a game against a buttoned up Pac twelve team in Oregon State because Jonathan Jonathan Smith's doing a great job with that program. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they won by three, so it, it might be. A little bit inflated, and you wonder too with the with the guys in, in the Sun Devil uniforms when they're shown that disrespect by the odds makers uh, and and the betting patterns. What 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 does that do? Well, yeah, chip on your well, chip on your shoulder. And again, it's it's we're we're in the we're only one week into the Sean Aguano era, and there's a lot right. I, there's a lot of there's a lot of talk about who is going to be the next guy. This guy um, Kenny Dillingham seems to be getting a lot of run from a lot of people. Mm-hmm. In college football, at West native. Coast college football, yeah. Valley native, a young guy, and the thinking is going to be instead of trying to hire some name recognition old dude, hire a young guy that you can build something with, you can grow together, and the dude is not going to leave once he builds something. Two well, pronged. Look at the program that ASU played last week, Utah. And Kyle Whittingham was an assistant under Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer left to take Florida's job. Kyle Whittingham's been there ever, ever since. Ever since. And has turned down job after job to stay there and continue to build that program. That's right. It's, you, the, it's the Lute Olsen dynamic. And it's funny, too, because I know um, uh, we'll, get, we'll get back into that uh, discussion in a second. Uh, because there's, there's a lot of things to consider. Uh, when w- with what ASU is going through. We are joined now by uh, Sean Aguano, the head coach of the Arizona State Sun Devils here on the Arizona Sports Line. Coach, good morning. How are you? Coach, are you there? I am here. Oh, sorry about that. Um, you know, you get, you get the first one out of the way last week. You take on Utah. It didn't go the way you wanted it to, I'm sure. But we're, we're, what were some of the positives that you were able to take out of that game against Utah? You know, uh, again, it's a game of inches. I thought uh, a couple of times the ball, um, you know, didn't bounce our way on fourth down. You know, I thought we were in the right position uh, to make plays. But the, the positives are that the kids were positive on the sideline. You know, they played every play hard. Um, and that's the biggest part. I want to make sure that our kids and our fans understand these kids will play to the last whistle blows. And, and I saw that in them. And so there's a lot of positives. Uh, moving forward to this week. All right, so uh, so how how do you feel about this week's matchup? Road trips to uh, Southern California haven't always been kind to this program over the course of history. Um, is it an opportunity? What do you expect from your team this week, other than effort? Absolutely, I, I think it's a great opportunity. You know, we have a roster that uh, has a multitude of well, players from the California, so from California. So you know, it'll be an emotional week for them. Um, it's a chance for us to play a very good football team uh, at home. Um, I'm just excited for our guys to execute. Uh, our game plan, uh, make sure they're, they're detailed and uh, play the best kind of brand of football that we can play. Sean Aguano, the uh, head coach of the Arizona State Sun Devils, our guest here on uh, Bickley and Murata Mornings. I, you know, We talked to you last week, and, and you were implementing changes the way practices run. You wanted a, a quicker tempo to practice, a more urgency, more purpose. Uh, and I saw reports this week uh, uh, from beat writers who were at the practice, uh, maybe some disciplinary things that, that, that you handed out this week that necessarily hadn't been handed out in the past. Overall, Coach, how uh, have the players on the team uh, responded to what you've implemented so far? 
You know, they've responded well. Um, you know, it's about the consistency part uh, and accountability. Um, the players, uh, you know, I understand there's going to be some roadblocks uh, in it and there's going to be some pushback, but making sure that they know that I care uh, about them being the best that they can be. And so it, it, with that comes accountability. And I have to hold the players accountable for their actions in regards. And, and, and there was nothing big. You know, uh, somebody was late. Uh, when I said it was 9.42 and you walk in at 9.43, to me, being on time is so important. That means you care. And so I had to... Uh, to make sure that the kids understand where I'm coming from and that's not going to be tolerated. And, and you know, our kid, the kid bounced back and had a great practice the next day. But it's, it's seeing how they respond to it that I'm, uh, I have a very positive vibe in regards to that. All right, uh, a head coach in college, you only get one debut. Uh, what did you learn from yours operationally? Uh, was, and, and, and how is that going to affect you going forward? You know, um, last week was um, a bombardment of a lot of external factors with, you know, the media making sure from a structure standpoint and foundation within our program that I had to put um, some details. Now I've gotten back, and what I've learned, I've gotten back to the football side of it, uh, which I enjoy the most, um, you know, being with the kids and the football part of it. So um, that has changed, and uh, um, I want to make sure that I give them all of myself. Coach uh, Sean Aguano, our guest here on 98.7 FM Arizona Sports Station. I, I know in the, the past couple weeks, Coach, you've been banged up thin uh, at the secondary position for a number of different reasons, injury, personal reasons, and things like that. Will you be getting any reinforcements, specifically uh, Woods and Torrance? Will they be able to go tomorrow against USC? Yes, we, we will have a, a bunch of those guys back, and, and they're excited. Um, you know, they want to make sure that uh, uh, they're helping their teammates out, and uh, so they're excited. Uh, to come back and, and we were real thin on that back end in the secondary but uh, we will be close to uh, full force how about uh, Omar Norman Lott will, will he be available you know he is a game to day to day we will find out uh, from our practice today if he'll be ready to go as of right now um, he is questionable gotcha uh, coach thanks so much for uh, catching up with us we appreciate it best of luck on uh, your first road trip as head coach and we will talk to you next Friday I appreciate it. I just wanted to thank the fans for uh, coming out, and I really appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Coach Sean Aguano, the uh, interim head coach of the Arizona State Sun Devils, our guest, as he will be every Friday for the remainder of the season. Sun Devils and USC tomorrow, 7.30. Pre-game starts at 5 here on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Coming up next, Tua Tungavailoa played last night. Tua Tungavailoa got hurt last night. Uh-oh. Should Tua Tungavailoa been playing last night? That's the question a lot of people are asking. Uh, we'll explore it next. Pickley and Murata Mornings, 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Arizona Sports. It's football. Friday. Football. Friday. Football Friday with Bickley and Murata. Presented by 72 Sold. Get your price. With the green, and down he goes. Swung down in his own 48-yard line. Josh Tufu. And, uh-oh. Well, we saw last week, and he went down. He got up. It was wobbly. The training staff comes out. 
the last thing the Dolphins wanted to see. I mean, last week it looked for all the world. Everybody thought head injury, concussion, passed the protocol, came back second half, led him to a victory. And, and, and Al Tupo slams him to the ground. I mean, it, it's you think about the back, the ankle, but he gets thrown to the ground. Yeah, that was how it sounded last night on Prime Video. Al Michaels, Kirk Herbstreet on the call of Tupu taking down uh, Tua Tungavailoa in the second quarter of that game, yep. and uh, not good. It was a hard visual for a lot of people, for anybody really watching the game, when you see the the fencing response is what it's called, uh, which is a, a reaction the body has to being concussed, and the arms get locked up, and you saw Tua's hands situated in a, in a weird spot, and Al Michaels immediately went to what happened last week. It was a big storyline going into this game, whether or not Tua Tungavailoa would play or, more to the point, should play after that injury. There were people shocked and dismayed that he came back last week to mm-hmm. lead that victory uh, that he led over Buffalo. Um, you know, Are they related? It's easy to draw those connections. It's easy to connect those dots to say one was related to the other. And if that's the case, then the Miami Dolphins and their team doctors and their, and their decision makers staff. have oh, a whole boy. lot of oh, questions boy. to answer. Yeah, but we they, don't know if that's the case. Well, listen, that, and that's that's what the NFL needs to get to the bottom of, and that is exactly what made you believe that this was a back injury that he suffered. Because, again, uh, there is a lot of what Jared said earlier, a lot of people playing doctor on social media. But at the same time, we have seen what concussions look like. We have seen guys get up and fall down. We, we've seen it, and that's exactly what we saw the first time with two against the Bills. Everything about the play and the reaction spoke concussion to people who've been watching football. And and if we're supposed to be vigilant about it, it's not wrong to be skeptical like that. If vigilance is is the true outcome that you need here, then 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 you've got to you've got to assume that you can't take a player's word that it's a back injury. The more, the bigger issue is what did the Dolphins training staff and doctors do or not do to protect Tua from himself? Rich Ornberger tweeted this out yesterday. Quote: Very thankful today for the Patriots medical staff for the way they handled my concussion in 2011. I was out on my feet. They took it seriously. I spent the year on the IR. They saved me from myself. I would have rushed back if they let me. They didn't. Yeah. Andrew Whitworth on Prime last night told a story about uh, a concussion that he had. And it came down. He wanted to play. He uh, Same situation. Was out on his feet. Said he was good to go. Team cleared him. Mm-hmm. One of his teammates stepped up and said, no, he's not right. He shouldn't go back in the game. And again, Andrew Whitworth in telling that story thanked his teammate for having his back because you're not making the best decisions. We've heard players for years and years talk about playing through concussions because it's the that's the cutthroat nature of the NFL. You have a concussion. You have to miss some time. You're opening up opportunity for someone to swoop in and take your job. Yep. Larry Fitzgerald himself famously once said, hey, if you're going to hit me, hit me in the head. Don't hit me in the knees. Hit me in the head. Hit, hit I'll me pay the, your fine. Yeah. Don't hit me in the knees. Right. And 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 for a lot of reasons, there's the machismo that comes with football. The real tough guys, they want to play through concussions because they, they vibe on that whole thing. you got to protect those guys from themselves. Mm-hmm. Tua is kind of that guy, and there are a lot of guys who are that guy. They're the guys who feel pressure that I am going to lose my job. And then there's also the the, the, the organizational pressure. Get out there. Come on. It's just a, You just got your bell rung. Well, we're still evolving from that go rub some dirt on it mentality that existed for so 
long, not only in football, but in, in mm-hmm. all forms of activity, really. The um, And the thing that was kind of alarming about it was it, 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 Mike McDaniel didn't do the Dolphins or the organization, even though I think he's a very promising young head coach. He didn't do the Dolphins any favors by diminishing what a concussion is. Yep. That was an emotional moment. Um, that is not part of the deal that anyone signs up for, even though you you know it's a possibility in football to have something that you have to get taken off in a, on a stretcher. Is uh, you know all of his teammates, myself, we we're all um, very very concerned. So the the best news that we could get is that everything is checked out. Um, that he didn't. Uh, have any anything more serious than um, a, a concussion? Will be uh, he'll be flying back with us here on the plane. Yeah, that part where he says anything more serious than a concussion uh, was kind of a, 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 yeah. a. I mean, he means like well, a broken he, neck I or know something. What he means, but but when you're, but it's also diminishing the severity of a concussion, right? Which would also play into an organization who would want their guy back in the game for and, and start him four days after an injury. It's really interesting to see what happens now because if he passes concussion protocols again this week mm-hmm. and it's a you know a 10 day week it's almost like do they have to keep him out just for perception's sake well, I don't think they're worried about perception. If they were worried about that, uh, I think Tua would have spent the night in Cincinnati as opposed yeah, that to... Was su- that was surprising. You, know, you get checked into a hospital. It, it was the second quarter of the game. He was able to fly home with his mm-hmm. teammates. I mean, by, by the time the game ended, they already knew he was going to yeah. be able to fly home with them. Just nuts. Yeah. Uh, here's Jeremy Fowler from ESPN on what's next. My understanding that the NFL Players Union and the NFL Management Council have already gone pretty knee-deep in this investigation. They've begun their interviews, their reviewing of the tape from Sunday at Buffalo... And now they suddenly have a bigger case file with all this. So they're going to have to expand the investigation, look more into this whole process from Tua getting the concussion tonight, which Mike McDaniel was clear on that he had a concussion and that he was fuzzy when he had an interaction with him on the field, to him being discharged from the hospital tonight. And that whole process is going to now have to be reviewed by the league. And so, you know, this could take some time. It could take time. It probably will take time. Uh, Mike McDaniel was also asked, hey, why did Tua play uh, I mean what goes into every um, every one of those decisions um, that you know it's it starts with your medical staff but then there's independent um, there's independent uh, specialists that look into it too there's a there's an entire protocol and then you're you're talking to the player as well so um, probably I don't know um, five or six Different layers of uh, of a process and decision making, like you do with all players. I've heard people ask this as well, and I think this is pretty valid. Mm-hmm. We always hear, "Oh, he's in the concussion protocol. He passed the concussion protocol. Everything was cleared." You know, the, I would like more knowledge on what that protocol is. What exactly are the steps? What are the tests they go through? And does that need to change? I think everything's, it's a good question. I think everything's it's, under review right now. It's a really now. good question. Um, Chris Nowinski, uh, the doctor you pointed to, who actually predicted this, mm-hmm. 
Uh, so there's no hindsight on his behalf. He, he quoted out, this is a disaster. Pray for Tua. Fire the medical staffs and coaches. I predicted this, and I hate that I am right. Two concussions in five days can kill someone. This can end careers. How are we so stupid in 2022? I, I just can't get the visual of, the, of that fencing mechanism of those fingers yep. up by his face and them just all going in different directions. And one of his teammates reaches down and grabs his hands. Mm-hmm. To just kind of out of fear, it was it was that visual that we all we all had that moment again last night where you're like, oh man, this this game really is brutal. And I'll ask the question too on the way out. If you watch that play again, and I just showed you the freeze frame of of what happened, it oh, was yeah. so much room for Tua there, and he appeared unable to evade a, a one person rush who broke away from his blocker. Uh, what you know? Does that go back to what happened last week? Whether that was a concussion, as some people uh, accuse it of being, or was it a back injury? Was he a hundred percent? Because I mean, that was a play that most a lot of quarterbacks, and you would think a quarterback of uh, his skill set, size, and elusivity mm-hmm. would be able to avoid, and he, he wasn't able to that's, avoid it. That's very interesting. So, um, you know, you really hope that in this day and age, an NFL training staff would not cover up or lie about something like this. So uh, I'm hoping that this investigation doesn't pull up a smoking gun, but yeah. but man, it's a bad look. Text fan to 620-620 for your chance to become the Redbird Farms chicken fan of the game. One lucky winner will win two tickets to an upcoming Cardinals home game and be featured on the Jumbotron. That's a fan, F-A-N. Text that to 620-620. Coming up next, Sarah Cazell will take us through social studies on Twitter. It's Bickley and Murata Mornings, 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station.